You ever have that sinking feeling when you have given a gift to someone and by one means or another you find out that it really wasn't as well appreciated as they made it sound like when they received the gift? Like it gets re-gifted somewhere and you find out about it or it gets shoved away in some corner somewhere. Well, you give a gift and if, you, if you've given it thoughtfully, you hope that it's at least appreciated but more than that, you hope it's enjoyed. You, you want it to be used in some way um, because after all, the person can be profuse in saying thank you, but if their next stop with your gift is the garage or the Goodwill, eh, it probably wasn't quite what you thought it would be. Our God is a generous, generous giver of uh -huh. gifts, and it just emphasizes that all throughout the book of James, his delight in giving to his people. The first example of that is, we talked about it a few weeks ago, the giving of wisdom to those who would ask, those who are in trials. He says, ask and I will give generously. He wants to give of his wisdom. Verse 17 says, every good and perfect gift is from the Lord. God is unchanging. He will never give evil, but rather everything that we have that is good and fitting and right, that is a gift from God. That is of his kindness, his generosity to us. And then James 1.18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I've added just the beginning of that from the Christian standard, the CSB version, because I, I think it helps us see this in the context of God giving. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth. There is God giving. And it's clear from the context in James that when it says that he brought us forth by the word or he gave us birth, he's, he's talking about the impact of the gospel. He's talking about the, the work of salvation that God would rescue us, that he would save People. And the gospel, we know, is God's power to, to save sinners. And so it even says in that verse, it's, he, he gave us new birth by the word of truth. So the word is the instrument that he's using to bring people to himself, to, to save them. God does not give his word and the new birth that comes through the word so that we would merely say thank you. Thanksgiving is important, by all means. We, we've just been doing that. We've been praising God. We've been worshiping Him. And we love to give Him thanks. We love to recite what He's done. No small part of the Christian life is just rehearsing the things that God has done by His grace and speaking of those things. But Jesus did not take our place on the cross merely so that we would say, thank you, and just recite those truths. There's more to our response that James wants to speak of. And, and so he even says there in verse 18, there's a so that in verse 18. He has given us new birth so that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So he's saying there's, there's a purpose that God intends in this, in saving his people through the instrumentation of his word. And it is so that he would make us a kind of first fruits. This is, this is going to be the launching point. Really, verse 18 sort of launches us into 19 through 27 that we're really going to be looking at this morning. And this is a launching point, not only for this passage, but I would argue even in, in some ways for the rest of the book of James, that Jesus Christ saved a people for himself so that we would be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
Now, the, the first question then that comes to mind is, well, what does he mean by first fruits? What, what does that term mean, first fruits? And, and, and certainly we see it getting its origins back in the Old Testament. That's the idea of, of giving sacrifices and bringing offerings to God and bringing the best and the first, the, the finest part right from the very start and giving him the best part first. So the farmer doesn't wait until it's halfway through the harvest season and then says, okay, I now have enough grain stored up for my family and myself. Now I can start to, to give to God. But rather when that, that harvest first starts to ripen, he takes the, the first and the best and he gives it to God, trusting that God will provide the rest of the harvest, but wanting to give God that sacrifice. And so the uh, the, the, the best, uh, the first and the best lamb, the first and the best calf, the, the offering is that which represents the finest that I have, and it's the first that I have. He gets the first part of what it is. Deuteronomy 18.4 says this, the first fruits of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the first fleece of your sheep you shall give him. There's the, the law, and he'll reference the law later on in this passage. There's the law laying out the principle of giving to God the first and the best. Paul uses this language of first fruits when he's giving his great chapter on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he speaks of Jesus Christ as being the first fruits of those who have died. And what he's saying is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is something new. He is the first now to be raised to new and eternal life, never to die again. And so his resurrection is unique, but it signals what is really the start of his kingdom and many who will come after him, who will also be um, believers in him and will experience that resurrection. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through, and two means here, sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You were dedicated. If we look at that first fruits offering as kind of a, I, I, I give this to you, I dedicate this to you, Lord, this first offering, you were dedicated to the Lord when the Holy Spirit gave you life at the moment of salvation. He sets you apart. That's what sanctification is. The Holy Spirit sets you apart as God's offering, as that which belongs to him. But it also says that it happened through belief in the word of truth, that that was part of the, the instrumentation of what God used to save you. The, the word God speaking to us through his word is, is one of the means that God uses so that our lives can in turn be a fragrant, pleasing, valuable offering to God so that now we give back to him the first and the best part. Uh, we give to him of our time and possessions and devotion and talent not what's left over, not after we have exhausted on ourselves what, what we want to do, but rather we seek to give him first, the first and the best part. He saved us to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So of all the creatures that God has made, he has uniquely made his children to be this special offering to him, to be this kind of sacrifice to him. And so for James, this is where now we get to understand this within the context of the book of James, that generosity of God puts a kind of stewardship on us, gives us a kind of accountability. Because God has given so generously, we now are the recipients. 
Going back to my, my opening illustration, this is not where you take the gift and then sort of set it aside, put it away, re-gift it to someone else. This is God has now generously given new life, and now there's a responsibility on my part as recipient to make use of that. So we're going to read through some of this passage. I, I want you to remember as we go from verse 18 to 19, and, and I've, I've used... James 1.19, countless times in counseling situations, both in speaking to my own heart and speaking to others, and, and, and not made the connection, because there's, you know, there's, there's headings, there's verse numbers, there's all these separating sort of points. And so we, we too often take James as just sort of a set of Proverbs. And so 119 sort of, it sounds like it's a whole new topic. As James's readers are reading this, there's no verse numbers, no subject headings. They go right from 18 to 19. So let's do that. Verse 18 says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That last phrase, the implanted word which is able to save your souls, flows right out of verse 18 when he speaks of you being given new birth through the word of truth. He, he gave us life by virtue of his word, and now he's saying his word was implanted in you. It was, it was what saved you. His word came to life within you. And now he's urging us to receive that. His truth came into your soul and brought you to life to believe it and be his child. And so now as a recipient of that gift who's been made alive by his gospel, there is a responsibility. And, and so verse 21 kind of builds on that when it says that we are to humbly and gently, that that word meekness is the idea of humble and gentle. We are to humbly and gently receive the word of truth that was set in our hearts to give us new life. One writer put it this way, and I think this is helpful. The first requirement of those who have been given birth by a word, that is, had it implanted in them, first re requirement is to receive that word and allow it to become the norm for their existence, just as it is the basis of their existence and of their future with its power to save their souls. It saves God's word. But now it is to become that which we are receiving, that which, which is now changing us. By God's grace, his gift of life is given and I am saved, but I am now responsible as one who follows Jesus Christ to respond to that word. That's what this passage, and, and frankly what much of the book of James is about, is about how do we respond as receivers of the word. How are we now recipients? Those who have been given this faith, who have been given this word, what do we do with that? Since God has generously revealed himself to me through the word, how do I receive this word of truth? And I, I want to suggest to you that verse 19 is kind of our summary statement. He's going to give us the outline, the framework in verse 19, and then he's going to, going to expand on that and, and what it means and how it all relates back to the receiving of the word of truth. Verse 19 flows, as we've seen, right out of verse 18. God has graciously saved me through his truth. He's perfect in generous goodness. Therefore, now it's how do I receive that gift? How do I respond to that? 
And I would suggest to you this passage gives three answers to that question. They're all framed in verse 19, but three answers. As one who has been given new birth, I receive the precious, life-changing truth that God gives with a right heart, a ready attitude, and revealing speech and actions. Right heart, ready attitude, revealing speech and actions. We'll start with the right heart part first, because that's where James goes first. When he says, the, the, the descriptive phrase in verse 19 that sets this first one apart is, slow to anger, and then he's going to talk about what he means by anger here, but slow to anger, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How does slow to anger relate now to this receiving of, of God's truth? Well, one way I would suggest to you is if you think about historical context, James is writing this to readers who are suffering. We think and, and, and some of you are, are, are suffering, but, but we sometimes think about our suffering and we don't think in the light of what these readers are going through in the first century. They have been scattered, dispersed from their homes. They've lost home. They've lost family. They've lost job. All of this for the cause of Christ. They have been pushed out and they are suffering for Jesus Christ. One of the realities, whenever we suffer, whatever the trial is, one of the possible reactions could be, thank you, God. Thank you for this trial that's going to build up my faith. Help me now. Give me wisdom. I'm praising you for this. And also one of those responses could be anger, could be frustration, could be just simmering disappointment at what's happening to me at that point. And, and, and that's one of the ways that we can respond to God's truth. James's readers need to be reminded that God is the giver of good and perfect gifts. The, the, the suffering that you experience is within God's providence, but he is working this to build you up, to strengthen your faith, to cause you to be steadfast. He's the giver of good and perfect gifts. He doesn't give evil ones. And so your, your sinful response to the trial is your own passion that, that's, that's kicked up in you. As Jeremy preached through last week, it's your own misuse of what God has brought into your life. Unfortunately for all of us, we don't need to be dispersed from our homes and under persecution to know what it is to respond poorly to suffering or to a trial, to respond angrily to, to something like that, to respond angrily when we're going through a difficult time and some dear brother or sister brings words of scripture to us and speaks to us and we really didn't want to hear those at that moment. We didn't want that particular conviction to be brought into our lives. And so we respond poorly and we don't embrace the conviction of God's truth. That, that's one way in which we can become angry in response. The, the usual way we apply James 1.19 is also true as well. If you, are, if you are quick to get angry at other people, if you are one of those people who goes from zero to mad in a heartbeat, temperature just jumps just like that. If you're one of those people that others sort of walk on eggshells around because they just don't want to catch your wrath. They just don't want to flip that switch. You may be one of those who just simmers. Something doesn't go your way and everybody knows, not because of an outburst, but because you're just sort of low-grade fever sort of level anger. It just sort of simmers through the day and everybody around you knows what's going on. If that's where you're at, you are not being slow to anger. You're not receiving God's truth as you should, humbly and, and gently. Righteous anger 
We sometimes talk about righteous anger. My anger is righteous. Most of the time we know it's not. But just in case you do say that, righteous anger is still going to be accompanied by fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit doesn't go away with righteous anger. And so there's still to be gentleness, patience, kindness, love of others. So if if your anger is paired with those attributes, that's a good sign. And if your anger is properly aimed at sin and unrighteousness, that's a good sign. It's rare, let's be honest. Most of our anger is in the unrighteous category, and it doesn't come coupled with fruit of the Spirit. And, And it doesn't, as he says here, it doesn't accomplish the purposes that God has designed for us, and that it doesn't show his righteous standard or bring glory back to him. A heart that rightly receives God's word is not angry or arrogant or self-centered, but rather, he says, receive the word with meekness is is the word that he uses there um, in, in verse 21. Receive with meekness the implanted word. That word uh, meekness, one definition of it is the attitude of spirit by which we accept God's dealings with us as good and do not dispute or resist. Again, I would suggest to you, this is, this is sort of gentleness and humility. When you think of meekness, you're, you're talking about an attitude that is gentle, that is also bowed before the Lord and humble because it is his word. And, and in fact, he describes it as meek, but also prior to that, putting away all filthiness is the idea of stripping off, stripping off filthiness and rampant wickedness. And so it's, it's received meekly and it's stripped of the, the greed and the moral filth. It's not looking for what, what I can get for self, but rather it is, how do I receive this word from God? How do I receive what he's saying to me in scripture here? How do I humbly take this and gently respond to it? Very practical level. One way to become slow to anger, as he's describing here, is to slow down. It is to take your time. When when you're in those moments, when you feel that the temperature is starting to rise, when that family member has said or done something again, I can't believe, and the teeth are starting to to grit, the stuff the dentist warns you about, how you're grinding your teeth, right? When you start to feel that, slow down. What am I doing in this moment? What what is my goal in this moment? What's what's churning in my heart in this moment? What's my end game in this moment? Because what do I really want? Am I seeking to humbly submit to the word of God and to receive his truth, to hear what he says to me in this circumstance and and, and to respond gently, or am I just lashing out, letting my feelings just overwhelm because I'm standing to gain or lose something here? We need to slow down, let our thinking catch up with our feelings. He wants us to, to ponder again what he's saying to us in his word. Are we being meek or are we being arrogant? Are we receiving God's word or are we just doing what, what we want to do in that moment? As one who's been given new birth, I, I receive the precious life-changing word of truth that God gives with a right heart, secondly, with a ready attitude. Another piece of this in verse 19 that sets our outline when he says, let every person be quick to hear. Quick to hear. Most common application of this, the one that I've used countless times with myself and in counseling with others, is that this means listen intently. Focus in. Stop, stop thinking about what it is you're going to say next. 
or thinking about how stupid the other person sounds to you while you're letting them speak because you're listening to them. Stop doing that and actually listen deliberately and intently to what they're saying. And, and that's right. Certainly verse 19 speaks to that. But James also elaborates on what he means by hearing because if, if you go down to verse 22, he, he essentially will say to us, it's more than just being a good intent listener. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. He's just got done saying, be quick to listen. And now he's saying, but, but listening on its own is not enough. Not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. When James is saying, be quick to listen, it's more than just, okay, shut my mouth and listen. He wants us to listen eagerly with a readiness to respond, with a readiness to act. So this receiving of the word is I'm, I'm listening to it, but I'm listening to it with my mind trying to comprehend what it is it's calling me to do so that I can respond to it. I, I, I was so blessed, I, I, and I, I, I'm always so encouraged at the door when people make comments um, you know, just in reference to the sermon after the first service, so many people who had said, yep, I, that, that piece or this piece or whatever convicted me. And, that, and, and that, that's exactly what this is talking about. It's listening, not to just hear it and say, yep, I heard a sermon, but it's listening to say, what do I do now Amen. in light of what I hear? How do I respond? So it, it doesn't just stop at hearing and comprehending. It's listening for the purpose of responding. So, so th this, this mandate, God has given us new life, through his word of truth, it now says to us, so then be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And how do we become that fragrant offering? We listen with a readiness to respond. We, we want to do what God says. We don't just listen for the sake of listening, but we're listening to be instructed so that we can then follow the instructions and the commands of scripture. And so we receive God's word with this heart of meekness, but also with this attitude of readiness to do what it says. This is a, this is a central theme to James. Don't, don't just profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't merely say you believe in him and that you hear him and that you go and hear a sermon. Obey him, right? That's what James is, is, is emphasizing here. Don't just say this, but, or just be a hearer, but act on, on what you hear. Again, the application that we ordinarily make here is, is learn to wisely shut your mouth and make sure that you're really hearing your parent or child or spouse or friend or, or boss or neighbor. Be quick to listen. Be deliberate about hearing what they say. But if I intently listen, I, I listen to my colleague, or I listen to my wife, or I listen to someone else who says, you're doing this wrong. You shouldn't do it this way. Um, you're sinning, or you're, you're missing the mark. And if, I, and if I lean in, and I give all the right body language, and I listen intently to everything they say, and I nod, because I'm listening, I'm being quick to listen. And then I say, thank you. I heard every word you said. And I go back and do exactly what I was just doing, was I really listening intently? I mean, heard, but didn't respond. And that's what he's trying to get at us here, that this being quick to listen is not just, uh-huh, I understand. 
Because if my spouse asks me to help in some way, do this or do that, and I say, I hear you, honey, I hear your every word, and then I don't do what she says, was he really listening intently? You saw me. I was listening. My lips were zipped. He wants us to listen with a readiness to act. And so that's why he uses the illustration of the person who looks in the mirror. It says you look in the mirror and you observe things in the mirror and it's not all good. You observe something that's out of place. You see, you see dirt or, or you see that your hair is out of place. And what do you do? You turn around and you walk away and you do nothing about it. What's the point of the mirror? At the, why, why did you bother even looking if you weren't going to respond? And, and that's what he's saying. What it is is to just listen to the word of God. So, so one of the things that we have historically done here at Grace Bible Church, this preceded long before I got here, was, was home groups and, and focusing in on taking the sermon for that week and, and discussing that week's sermon. And, and that stems from out of a, a belief in passages like this that hearing a sermon on Sunday morning is just the starting point. That's the, that's the input part. The question now is, now what do I do with this thing? I feel convicted in some way or I'm exhorted in some way. How do I respond? And so that's why with home groups, one of the things we've, we've tried to encourage that to be is kind of a forum where you take the sermon questions, you talk about the sermon, make sure that everybody's grasped what Scripture's saying in that passage, and then talk about how do we apply this thing? How do, how do we help each other to, to live this out? And we do that because it, that's, you, can, you can do dozens of studies and listen to hundreds of sermons and be under all kinds of, of, of teaching and, and buy all kinds of books that are biblical in their content and yet not be changed. Simply hearing and yet not responding. Our heart attitude should be marked by the meekness, humbly receiving. Our listening should be with this attitude of readiness. And finally, James says, we should receive the word of truth with revealing speech and actions. He's now going to talk about the fruit that comes that shows how we're receiving the truth. And he's going to use speech first and then actions at how we display our receiving of God's word. So verse 19, again, as our framework, be slow to speak. Again, typical application of that is to, to wait. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to be the first one to, to respond in this situation. It's a tense situation. Just slow down. Be slow to speak. And that's right. But he also helps us in this passage because he builds on that. If you look at verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I've, again, thrown the CSB up there because it, it takes the idea of the, we know what a bridle is. The rider of the horse uses it to direct the horse, and the CSB captures that. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue. And then he gives this contrast in verse 26. A strong contrast between, you may think this. You may think that you are pious, that you are spiritual, that you are checking all the boxes, but what comes out of your mouth? What's the outward fruit? What's revealed about what you believe in your words? And, and also in a moment, he'll talk about your actions. Because if the behavior is not consistent with the, with the profession, with what you say, so if you are quick to anger, if you are not humble about taking correction, if you are not deliberate about listening, or as he says here, uh, if you do not control what you say, then the warning is that the religion you profess may be useless. 
There's no substance to it. It's empty. It, it's the kind of stuff that the unbelieving world looks at when they hear your speech and see your actions and say, well, I'm no different than that person, so I don't know what they're talking about when they talk about their religion, uh, about what it is that they believe. The tragedy in all this, James says in verse 26, as he did in verse 22, is this, this notion of self-deception. The concern for James is that you would not do this and think that it's okay. And so he says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, same as verse 22, you're deceiving yourselves. There are those, he's saying, who, who do listen to God's truth. They, they lean in on God's truth, and yet nothing happens as a result. There's no change. One of the, 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 the most the simplest areas where you see when, when adults come to faith in Jesus Christ, one of the most dramatic areas where you initially will see change usually is in their speech. It's the things that they talk about. It's the adjectives that they use to describe things. This is stuff I get, you know, usually halfway through a conversation with somebody out in the world when they say, so what are you doing? I'm a pastor. And then it's like, oh, I'm sorry for half the things that I just said, the, the language that I just said. And we know this, as people come to faith in Christ, that's one of the areas that begins to change. What's acceptable to speak about? What's right? What's holy? What's right before God? James is saying the tragedy here is there's people who listen to sermons and they can quote memorized scripture and they can talk in Christianese and yet they can be deceived because their lives don't actually resemble the Savior. Their words don't exactly sound Christ-like. And he is concerned about this, about the one who would profess faith in Christ and say one thing and yet not live like Christ. He's been concerned about this since the beginning of James. Verse 8, don't be a double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. Don't say that I'm asking God for wisdom, but in your heart be saying, I don't think he's going to help me. I don't think he's going to do anything about this. That's a double-minded man. Uh, verse 16, he urges his readers, don't be led astray by this deceptive thinking that somehow God is the source of evil. No, he says, don't, don't, don't deceive yourselves that way when it comes to your temptation. Verse 22, it's fraudulent to listen to God's truth and not do anything about it, not try to obey it. And then verse 26, it's a different Greek word for deception, but the message is similar. Don't be misled. Don't act as if it's okay to sound like, look like, be like the world and yet say, I, I love Jesus Christ, I belong to Jesus Christ, there, there needs to be some consistency that the speech and the actions reveal the actual reception of the word. James is concerned so much about this area of speech that he'll come back to it in chapter three. Um, he'll, he'll talk more about the tongue, you know, that can be a world of setting the world on fire, the tongue is such a dangerous thing. Uh, so we'll come back to that in chapter three. But here he's already saying, Consistency between profession and practice, between what you say and what you do. Our words and actions should flow from a heart that truly worships the living God. And our speech is a great indicator of that, exactly as Jesus Christ taught, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew 12, 34, and then Matthew 15, 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and that defiles a person. Jesus is saying, I, I can know by hearing what comes out of your mouth, it, it's a revelation of what's in your heart. And, and, and how you think and what you actually believe. No one's perfectly consistent here. Only Jesus is sinless in every thought, word, and deed. It is by God's grace that we are not judged by a standard of perfection because we are all guilty. We are made righteous because of what Christ has done. But if you claim faith in Christ, 
and yet you turn all of your conversations back to yourself or back to ungodly things, um, your accomplishments. If you claim faith in Jesus Christ and you indulge in sensual passions to gratify your flesh, if you claim faith in Jesus Christ but, but are not humble about receiving his word and you're combative when somebody tries to speak truth to you and you don't act on what it says and, and your speech doesn't sound anything like Christ, then that is a dangerous disconnect. And that's what he's concerned to warn them about. And, and James loves these people. He said, verse 19, my beloved brethren. He desperately does not want them to be in a place where they think, I go to church and I listen to sermons. Isn't that good enough, right? That, 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 if the rest of the life doesn't match, I'm still doing that part. And he's warning against that and saying, life needs to be consistent with profession. The last verse in this section is verse 27. He moves from speech to actions. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is a transitional verse because he's gonna build on this theme, the idea of caring for those um, that the world might look down on. In chapter two, we'll get into partiality and the, the attitude that I'd, I'd rather be with somebody who's influential and has money and good appearance than I would with the person who doesn't meet any of that criteria. And so he's going to build on this, but it really is a summary statement which says that the person who says Jesus is Lord does not only have changed speech, but they have changed actions. And in particular, James does this by way of contrast. He says the person who's truly trusting in Jesus Christ is eager and going to the places that the world really doesn't care much about and wanting to serve people that the world doesn't care much about. He, he's, he or she wants to go in that direction and wants to go and wants to serve. And the stuff that the world is enamored by and the stuff that everybody should have and is shiny and great and new, that's the stuff that he keeps at arm's distance. He's moving toward the stuff that the world doesn't really love all that much and he's moving away from the stuff that the world just adores. And that's what he's describing here in, in actions. True worshipers go and serve people who are hurting, who have nothing to offer. At a time when, when most religions, when James wrote this and certainly still true today, most religions it's about ritual. You, 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 you do the ritual, you come on Sunday and you give the offering or you go to the temple and you do the ritual before the God, whatever that is. God requires that his people love and serve others, that they see people as made in God's image, even people who seem to be unlovely, people who are in desperate affliction. And, and God desires that we, we not only go to them, but we visit them, we see them in their pain, we see their suffering, and just like the listening with readiness, we, we try to serve them. We try to help them in some ways. There's some way to help share in that burden to help them with their affliction. Deuteronomy 10, 18 and 19. Here's God's law again. God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. There's, there's the truth of God's law saying, this is what I call you to do to be different, and that is to love the ones that the world says, I can't be bothered with, I don't have time for, they, they don't have anything to give back to me. And he's saying, go and serve them. James uses that, that idea of law here because we've just read from Deuteronomy 10, which is the law, and James describes it in verse 25 as the perfect law. It's 
one of those phrases that as grace-loving New Testament-era Christians, we may wonder why does he call it perfect law, but Romans 7.12 says God's law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. Jesus taught us that he had come to fulfill the law, not abolish it. The goodness of God's law is not in some ritualistic observance. It's in obeying it from the heart. We're not trying to keep God's law in order to become acceptable to him. It is because he has already saved us, implanted his word in us, and we are receiving that word that we respond to it by saying, I want to do this. I want to follow him. I want to go to the places that, that, that the world may not be all that interested in going and avoid that which the world seems to be drawn to. A radical devotion to following the one who fulfilled the law should, should lead us into the one and away from the other because we understand that these, are one, these ones in need, they are made in the image of God. And this is a chance to, to serve, to, to be hands and feet. Bob mentioned during the prayer time, the, the prayer walk on, on Saturday. Part of that is just to, get, to, to move us into the culture, to move us amongst others, and, and to move us amongst those in need so that we would see them, see them in their affliction, pray with them, get to know them, let them know that there's a local church that, that wishes to try to, to serve in some way and to help them. That's what we do with ministry at Lorton Community Action Center. It's, it's, it's not just going through rituals or dropping off food, but the idea is ultimately to connect with those who are in need and to see them as people made in God's image that, that we can serve, and that's receiving the word. Flip side of this at the end of that verse 27 is to keep oneself unstained from the world. We should be willing to go where the world isn't really all that excited about going, but we should be more than happy to move away from that which really excites the world and, and, and which the world thinks is just fascinating and, and, and beautiful. We should avoid those things. The world is constantly urging us to embrace the passions of the flesh. We see that around us all the time, every day, the sinfulness of the world, not only on display, but with earnest appeals to participate in this, to support this, to applaud this, to be a part of this in some way. And the warning of the passage is to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's a, that's a powerful picture. I imagine the, the cross-country runner who's out on the trail, and it has rained most of that week, and so the trail is full of muddy patches and puddles. And you as that runner, you can, you can do all you want to navigate around those and try to miss all those spots. But if the faster runner comes through, and the faster runner runs right through the mud spot, just as you're trying so neatly to avoid it, what's going to happen? It's going to get splashed up on you. You're going to get stained by that mud. Your, your nearness to that other person now caused you to get splashed by what they run through. And James is saying the world is all around you, and it is splashing up mud and junk. And, and so the question as believers is, how do we persist in remaining unstained by the world? The, the verb language, the grammar there is present active, and so it's, it's essentially saying this is ongoing. This is just constant for us in a world that wants to throw its mud in our direction to be people who do not try to embrace that, who do not move toward that, but rather seek to move away from being stained by the world and at the same time toward people who are in need and who need to hear about Christ. And our purpose in all this, being quick, to listen with a, a readiness to act on it, being slow to speak, 
asking for God's wisdom in our words and our actions and being slow to anger, not reacting quickly and sharply to the word or others. Our aim is to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's where he's launched us into this. We are, we are essentially aiming to partner with the Holy Spirit in that work of sanctification, of him growing us and, and setting us apart as Christ's own and, and causing us to become more and more a delightful, fragrant offering to the Lord, pleasing unto him. Not just hearers who hear it and then go our way and forget it, but receiving his commands humbly. And the beauty of it all, and I'll just end with this, is this generous giving God, look at the end of verse 25, it says, the one who looks into the perfect law, here's the one who's intently listening, who's looking for, to respond to the action, the one who looks into the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but to do her acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This generous, gracious God who has given us new birth, his word, grace, wisdom and trials, now says to us, here's, here's what I need. I need, want you to receive the word. I want you to receive it and listen intently and respond to it. And by the way, if you do that, I just want to bless you all the more. I, just, I, I, I have more to give to you. I have more generosity and more abundance to give to you, and I will supply to you and bless you if, if you will simply respond and receive the implanted word that's able to save your soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Each person here who is a believer in Jesus Christ can bear some testimony to how a verse or verses in scripture at one moment in life came alive and became convicting and spoke truth and began to profoundly impact their thinking and ultimately change their heart so that Jesus Christ was no longer just a historical figure, a well-known rabbi, uh, one who spoke about love and peace, but your word became alive and we began to see that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. It became a, a personal conviction that my own sin was offensive to you and it separated me from you and it judged me as guilty before you. And that Jesus Christ came and gave his life on the cross as a ransom for sinners, dying in our place, taking our penalty, so that we might trust in him and receive life. And that as he rose, as the first fruits from the dead, we would rise and be like those who would spend eternity with him. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the power of your word to change and transform, to be living and active and to cut through joints and marrow and thoughts and intents of the heart. Help us now to be wise, gentle, humble, attentive recipients of your word. Help us to not stop here. Lord, help me to not be settled on having preached the sermon that this one gets folded up and put away and we move on to the next section. Lord, I help pray for the, all of the, my brothers and sisters here listening that we would not be content to merely read this passage of scripture and feel better informed about it and more knowledgeable, but that we would want to have your spirit at work in us and we would want to respond and be changed. 
by your truth. That comes by your grace and your help and your strength. We need your help to receive your word well, to listen to it intently, to be slow to speak and slow to anger. Help us to be a people who would contemplate what comes out of our mouths and the actions that we take and, and not be thoughtless, but be careful as folks who would want to follow after you and be like Christ. Help us, I pray, for any who are struggling this morning, just we're under conviction in terms of anger, being resistant perhaps to your word or being angry at someone even when they came in this morning. I, I pray, Father, that your word would provide the both the conviction but the soothing ointment that would lead them toward your grace to ask you for forgiveness and for help to slow down, to speak that which is helpful for building others up and not for cutting them down. Lord, thank you for where you've placed this church here in Fairfax County in Lorton. Thank you for the neighborhood around us, the people around us. Give us Give us that level of concern, that depth of concern that would want to see and know those who are in need, that you would steward to us the ability to help, that we would be servants in our neighborhoods, servants as a church in this neighborhood. Help us to show people the reality of the changing work of Christ and what he does in people's lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for giving these things through James. And we pray all this now in Jesus' name for his glory and sake. Amen.